Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, everybody. What a, what a gift to our church when Tamara is away for a week to have the kinds of people like Chesney, Nicole, Dr. Regert, and the band to kind of fill in. So thank you wherever you are, Chesney. It's so, so good. Uh, if you are still looking for a place to volunteer, I have great news. We still have many places for you to volunteer, and even better news, it very well could come with a t-shirt. Yeah. So if you volunteer, let's say with the VBS staff, you get this very cool t-shirt, VBS staff t-shirt. You're supposed to give it back. I've had mine for about a decade now, but uh, so you can get one of those. We also have a way for you to obtain greater uh, fashion um, breadth by volunteering with the teens. They have their own OKC First Youth. Now, if you're going to volunteer with kids or with youth, please contact Zach and Lisa, uh, Avarilla perhaps. We do have quite an extensive application process and you do have to be here for several months and there's an interview, there's actually a background check and all that kind of stuff because it's the right thing, but you do get a t-shirt out of the whole deal. Perhaps you would like to serve on Fridays here with the Hope Box. How cool is that? If you're volunteering with the Hope Box, would you raise your hand up? I see a couple of you out there. Yes, there are a few of you out there. This is really cool, and you get a t-shirt. If you would like to volunteer at the Hope Box, please contact Avarilla at okcfirst.com because we could use the help, and it's an amazing thing to watch that ministry take flight. How many of you have helped with the vaccination clinic? Let me see your hands. Look at that. If you volunteer for the vaccination clinic, first of all, God bless you. You get a very cool t-shirt that does have the word volunteer printed across the back. I, Mike Bell said it to me today. I, 
Is that the coolest thing we've done in a long time? Yes, that is the coolest thing that we have done in a long time. And I love, like yesterday we were able to bring somebody to get a shot. My wife got a shot here yesterday. And it was just an amazing thing to see this sea of folks in these black volunteer t-shirts. I mean, it, it put a lump in my throat. In fact, at some point, this will probably be a sermon, I, there are people who cried for three different reasons yesterday. One person cried because she wasn't sure that she would ever get the vaccine. Somebody else cried because they had not been in the sanctuary for a year, and they were thankful to get the vaccine that will at some point allow them back in on a regular basis. And then a volunteer cried, saying, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to do. We need more help, though. So, vaccine at okcfirst.com, vaccine at okcfirst.com, because I, I don't anticipate we will be less busy in the coming weeks and months. If anything, we'll be more busy. We could use your help. Something else I noticed yesterday. Pain is part of the process. I, for one, am a little bit shot-phobic. Um, pretty simple reason, it hurts. And I saw that a little bit yesterday, like, ah. Oh. Like, yeah, it kind of, kind of makes my arm ache a little bit. But you know what? The, the pain is kind of instructive, really. You, you know, something has happened. And in some sense, even if you have a mild reaction to it afterwards, that's some idea that something's happening. We also witnessed, though, the pain, uh, I've already mentioned this, the pain of the person who had not been here for a long time. You can see the ache in people's faces for having been isolated for so long. That pain also tells us something. It, it is something as good and as simple as this. Uh, it's good to be together, amen? We could say it the other way. It is not great to be isolated and alone, separated. There's a, there's a pain there that is instructive to us. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of times when pain is quite the professor. If you have children, you know this. Hey, don't touch that. Psst, well, well, okay. Now you know why you shouldn't touch that. Pain can be quite the teacher if we will allow it to do so. The problem is, you and I live today in a pain-killing culture. We live in a pain-killing culture, and, and for so many and we're talking about physical pain, but we're talking about all kinds of pain now. For so many, pain is the enemy. And so we will medicate in whatever way is necessary to avoid the pain. And here we are in Lent, and I gotta tell you, the pain is part of the point. Lent is supposed to be painful at some point. <laughs> to some extent, Lent is supposed to be painful. Now. The pain itself is not the point. It's not the same. It's not right for you to go get a tack and put it in your shoe and say, well, it's Lent. I need for my foot to hurt. That's, that's not it. The pain is not the point. It's what we learn from the pain that is the point. If Lent is about pain, then what it's really about is what we can learn from the pain, about ourselves, about our habits, our practices, perhaps our addictions, but also at the same time about God's grace for us while in the midst of that pain. Please remember that Lent is reminiscent of the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness. Friends, those were painful times for him. But the pain, again, wasn't the point. The pain in those moments 
The pain was just instructive. Yes, about the dangers of the world and the temptations of the culture around Christ, but more so about the resources of grace that are available as we are confronted by the culture around us. And that's the pro- that is the point now. For Christ, as well as for me and for you, the point is what we learn about ourselves, about our culture, about grace, about purpose, and about calling. And it has been a painful season. (laughs) Do you realize that it's been less than a year since this whole thing got shut down? It feels like 10 years, doesn't it? It's been less than a year. And again, I can hear the voices of some folks I love very much saying, I I don't know if I'm participating in Lent this year because this whole year has been Lent. I feel like this whole year has been about absence and loss and pain and all that stuff. And I hear what they're saying, but I hope that they will rethink. Because Lent is not just about the pain. And the Christian life is certainly not about the avoidance of pain. But in Lent... God makes good and godly use of the pain. And like Jesus, having learned these valuable lessons, we can emerge from Lent something, someone different, more ready than before for that purpose, that calling, that mission, that resurrection life. I need you to kind of take stock right now. How are you in in terms of your relationship with pain? There are people who have, I believe the terminology is zero pain tolerance. None. And again, it's physical pain. We're talking about other kinds of pain too, but none. And I'll medicate myself however I need to in order to feel zero pain. You ever been to the doctor and they say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how badly does this hurt? You know, zero is it doesn't. And 10 is may not be able to make it out of the room. What's your relationship to pain? Do you so avoid pain that Lent becomes hard for you? Have you opted out of Lent already? Do you so avoid pain that you will not allow for pain to be the teacher, instructor, professor, that it can be when in the hands of God? I want to say this again. It's the last time I'll say it. Listen, you hurting is not the point. You finding the grace of God and learning something in the midst of the pain is the point. But you don't even do that if your pain tolerance is zero. If you will not tolerate pain, you will not participate, at least not well, in Lent. In Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is confronting a culture that is not yet willing to undergo very much pain. And to be fair, they have been in a lot of pain. These Jewish folks around Jesus, they have been in a lot of pain. And it's going to be hard for them to hear what Jesus is going to say. And Jesus is going to say this, listen, you need to follow me and it will be hurtful, painful. And you need to do it. Can we blame the disciples? Can we blame the people around Jesus within those religious circles? And by the way, people in Jesus' inner circle, can we blame them for not wanting to lean into the pain? No, I don't think we can blame them. They are chronically human, inescapably normal. However, Jesus still asks them and us 
to survive the pain for what lies not only on the other side of the pain, but also for the resources we discover while in the midst of the pain. In other words, I think we can accurately draw a line between the pain-canceling culture of 2021 and the human willingness to avoid pain back in Jesus' day, the culture around Jesus. But since we can draw that line, we need to be prepared to hear, as if directed at us, what Jesus says to the people around him. And I gotta tell you, I don't know that there is any passage in Scripture beyond Mark 8 that is demonstrative of Jesus' capacity to be brutal. Jesus is at his most brutal here in Mark 8. It is painful <laughs> to hear what Jesus says to Peter, to them, to us. And I would hope that I would have the capacity to hear these words as if spoken to me, painful or not. Painful or not. At the beginning of Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. There are seven baskets full left over. And then Jesus sends them away. Amazing. Amazing. Later on in the chapter, about verse 11, the Pharisees come and they begin to argue with him. They're saying, hey, do another trick for us. We want to see another trick. Something that adds, actually, food and drink to our lives would be fine. Something that helps us to avoid or escape pain, that would be great. According to verse 12, and I love this. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, no. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Not gonna do it. Those were the religious folks around him. Surely the disciples who had been following so closely behind Jesus that the dust of his sandals get on, gets on their robes all the time, surely they would understand, right? Well, sure, in verse 14, here's what you have. The disciples who had forgotten to bring any bread and they only had one uh, with them, heard Jesus say something like this, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Hey, Simon Peter, disciples, it's not really talking about bread now. It's talking about the culture. The culture that will be in conflict inevitably, the culture that, if you are following Christ, you will inevitably come into contact with. Beware of that culture, says Jesus. They said to one another, I think he's saying this just because we didn't bring any bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened. Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Do you not remember? And then there's this amazing story. Now Mark, I would submit that Mark is amongst the most artistic books in the Bible. It's an incredible piece of literary art. And the author of Mark uses literary devices to make these points. For example, there are two blind man stories 
Two different blind men are healed in the book of Mark. One right now that we're gonna talk about and one at the end of these few passages. One kinda gets healed but needs a second touch. He kinda gets healed but Jesus has to do something else to further clarify his vision. That will serve not just as a healing story but as a metaphor for how the disciples kinda see. A metaphor for, kinda, for people like us who at times kinda see but need a clarifying touch. The healing story at the end of this long pericope is different in this way. When Jesus touches this man and grants him sight, his reaction is not just, wow, I can see. His reaction is to follow Jesus, and this is the words, and we'll get back to this, on the way. And he was on the way to the cross. Let me say this to us. Let me say this to us. If I were to ask you what does it mean to be Christian, there is a wrong answer. The wrong answer goes something like this. To be a Christian is to believe in Jesus, to somehow make mental assent that Jesus is God's son and that there is some sort of a a sacrifice that happened. I, I believe in all those things. That is a great place to start, but it's wrong if you end it there. Turns out, being Christian has more to do with what your body believes than what your mind agrees to. That make sense? I believe all the right things. I believe all of the right things. To those goats, Jesus said, yeah, but did your body believe them? Did your body believe that when folks were hungry that you were supposed to give them something to eat? And on and on and on. Well, not necessarily, but I believed all the right things. No, you didn't. You perhaps could recite them. This is a lot how I did my undergraduate work, Ron. I could recite all the right things. <laughs> you can recite the right beliefs. You can memorize scripture. Friends, you can memorize the articles of faith in the manual. You can. I tried it one time in preparation for a, a pastor's interview. <laughs> what matters more is what your body believes, what your life demonstrates. Believing that it just sort of stops with your brain is a little bit like the blind man who got touched and could kind of see but was in desperate need of a clarifying touch. Let's get into that. They're in Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, now can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, kind of, I mean, I can see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. Ah, okay. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he looked intently and his his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Some of us are living in between the first and second touch meant to heal blindness. For some of us, that season between the first touch and the second touch perhaps is the season of Lent.
Verse 27. Jesus asked this very important question. Out there, in the culture, in the oxygen out there, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, who was dead, so that would have been a trick. And others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks these partially blind disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. Kind of right, Peter, you're kind of getting it. You've made mental assent to the right idea, but he doesn't yet really get it. We know this, we know this because of what's gonna come next. Verse 30, you may have wondered why. Jesus says this, and he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Here's why, because they didn't really get it yet. They got the first part, but not the second part. They would have been very dangerous to believe and then act upon their belief that Jesus was the military ruler. That's how they understood Messiah. The military ruler who would finally defeat and drive out Rome, that would have been very dangerous. Simon Peter, you're kind of there, but until you get all the way there, would you please keep your mouth shut? He won't, but he has to do. Because here's what happens next. Jesus says, okay, this is what it means to be the Messiah, y'all. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and then Peter, by the way, who does Peter think he is? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Same word that is used when Jesus rebukes evil spirits. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, tempter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You have given yourself to this culture of pain avoidance, and I'm telling you that the pain part is necessary because, because, not because pain has become an idol for us, but because of this. When you live the way of Christ, you will necessarily and inevitably come into conflict with the way of the culture. And all God's people said a very guarded, man. Get behind me, he said to Simon Peter, because disciples are supposed to follow Jesus, not recreate Jesus in their own pain-avoiding ways. And it's not that Peter had become an incarnation of the devil, but he is taking the role of the tempter. You think Jesus wouldn't have opted for something a little less painful? You think... Jesus didn't at times live in some fear? You think Jesus didn't understand agony? But Jesus knew that his messiahship would result in suffering and pain. Not because God demanded it, but because of how the gospel and the kingdom would conflict with the culture of pain avoidance, as demonstrated by Simon Peter. He called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, boy, this is tough. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves the death of me and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What is the gospel though, John? Big word, who knows what it means? You've come on a great day. It's two words, ready? 
Love wins. That's it. You can make it more uh, complicated than that if you want. (laughs) But at the end of the day, if that part isn't in the center of your theology, you're not getting it right. Love wins. I'm not saying that that's what you see out in the culture, not very often at least. I'm saying that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is more than just mental assent. It is getting in line behind Jesus on the way to the cross. For what will it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit life? Indeed, what can anyone give in return for their life? Here are very difficult words. You ready? Brutal, 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 brutal. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, that's a very important word there, this adulterous generation. You know what that means, right? When you give your heart to someone that you shouldn't have given your heart to, that's when adultery happens. And he's saying to disciples, he's saying to religious people that it is still possible because we live in this culture, we live in this oxygen, always asking for our attention, demanding our allegiance. If ever you give to someone else something else, what is only meant for God, you are committing, here's the word, adultery to a God who understands all of life in covenantal terms. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed. Man, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whew, then I've got time to work on this, right? Because he's talking about the very end when the Russians and the Chinese and submarines and all of that. Uh, No, it's not how we read Scripture. Immediately following this verse, he says, Mark 9, 1, probably should have been part of chapter 8. And he said to them, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the, king, see that the kingdom of God has come with power. There have been people over the years who have said, oh, we're, we're talking about the end, the end, the end, the end. More modern scholarship says this, and I think it's right, I think it's more reliable. The kingdom launched in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we know this because that's when this concept was launched that continues to this day that goes like this. See if you've heard this before, love wins. Somebody I still need to get to, still need to go have a discussion with has asked a very important question. I keep hearing you saying this, but I'm not sure how this translates at work. I love that the question has been asked because the truth is this, it's gotta work at work. You are, I am, we are these odd folks who believe that love wins and it dictates our steps, it determines our posture, it informs our words that we use in every conversation with closest of friends, with our dearest family members, but also, and you know what's coming, with business associates, with acquaintances, with enemies, opposites, 
and irritants, and obviously I'm talking about the people who voted poorly last election. You know, the people who disagree with you. Yeah, can we look around now and admit that there are a lot of people who are wearing the clothes of Christianity who are not following Jesus to the cross? I'll say it again because I'm sure there's an amen out there somewhere. Everybody take a deep breath. Can we admit now? I'm not pointing at one side more than the other because I've been disappointed by both sides this week. But can we admit there are a lot of folks who want to wear the labels and want to be understood and experienced, not just as Christian, but as Christian leaders who are not, who are not following Jesus and carrying a cross. Man. Even after this, the disciples don't get it. They, they continue to argue about place and position and notoriety and status. Even the disciples. James and John. They want positions of authority and leadership in the kingdom that's coming. They think sooner than later. And they're right. What they're wrong about is what the nature of that kingdom will be. And then, chapter 10, verse 46, they come to Jericho. And as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many sternly ordered him to be quiet. We do that a lot to the people on the margins. Be quiet. But he cried even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Oh, those lines. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Next stop, Jerusalem. Passion Week. Cross. I would remind us that long before people like us were called Christians, they were called the people of the way. Meaning, people who walked with a particular posture, whether they were walking into the boardroom, the bedroom, the classroom, the operating room, the courtroom, People of the way are of the way no matter where they find themselves. That's how you know Jesus is Lord. And I'm not great at this. I downloaded this constant reminder of my shortcomings to my phone. <laughs> 
And even more than the ash cross, which I wipe off at the end of the typical Ash Wednesday, that image confronts me every time I look at the phone to do anything. The first thing I see is that. Man, I would, I would recommend, if you, if you haven't yet done so, I would recommend that you do something. Like we have the buttons still around the sides of the sanctuary, we have the buttons. But man, downloading to my phone that image, because the phone has become everyone's constant companion, or have I missed that? Can you imagine, on such a regular basis, looking at that which measures me painful, it's painful to so often look at this cross to recognize what it is that it represents. It's painful to look at that, look at myself and confess the difference. It's a painful reminder that what I'm asked for is a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life. And it means that discipleship, Christianity, is more than just believing in Jesus, it is following behind Jesus. The crosses we take up are not just the means of death, crosses are the directional signs that point us to a better way of being alive, painful as it may be. As we close, let me ask you a question. What do you want? In a general sense, what is it that you want? Also, what does Christ want? Because Lent happens in the gap in between. We confess during Lent that we don't always want what Jesus wants, particularly when what Jesus wants will result in suffering or persecution or ridicule or being left out or losing money or losing status or just losing. And in our Lenten fast or sacrifices, we train our eyes away from me, meism, to the Jesus who knows more and knows better than we do. And it's painful. I don't think I've ever said this to you before. Ready? It's painful. It's going to be painful. It's supposed to be painful. It's okay. Every week when we gather here around this table, <laughs> I, think we've, I think we're always in danger of missing how painful this moment would have been for our Savior. I mean, you can hear it though in the liturgy, right? It's broken body, shed blood. That is at least uncomfortable, if not painful. And yet, and yet, this very same moment where we recognize the pain recognize the grace that's available to us during that season of pain. If you haven't already gotten your elements, would you please raise your hand? Dr. Rieger, if you'll come forward. Raise your hand if you need some communion elements. And Larry, Doug right here needs some. Jason's coming. Larry's bringing some as well.
what perfect songs were chosen today. You ever feel like that we, or you or I have the capacity to sing a song and not really hear it? You ever listen to the words of I surrender all? You know what's challenging about that? It's the all part. (laughs) You know why? It's painful. It's painful. There's something to be learned in the pain. Don't skip the pain. Don't skip the pain. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, God, nourish us, strengthen us to be people who can, in fact, tolerate just enough of this pain to see you in it, to identify with you in the midst of it. Bless these elements, God. And somehow, as we continue to eat and drink this bread and drink of the cup, May we somehow understand what it means all over again to be the bread that is taken, blessed, broken in painful ways and then given. And now, church, if you would take that piece of bread, hold it up before you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he broke it. Broke it gave it to his disciples and said, and this is my body broken for you. Think of the pain in it all. And he says to us today, every time you eat of it, remember me. So now church, take, break, and eat. Later on, Jesus would take the cup hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood. (laughs) Blood spilt, blood shed for you. There's pain in it. And every time you drink of this cup, please remember me. So now church, again, take and drink. Father, we confess that like so much of our culture, we don't lean into pain. We confess that we, that I, I confess that I too have this chronically human and normal tendency to avoid it. God, would you grant me, would you grant us the wisdom, the discernment to understand that there are times when the pain itself is a tool in your hands to shape and grow and heal and mend. Now church, you too may want to pray a brief prayer of confession. It's your turn to say, yep, me too, God. I I don't have time, I don't have the inclination, I don't have the patience, I don't have the tolerance for pain. Would you pray that prayer of confession even now? Now, 
I'll hear this before I turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life.